The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, weekend review featuring sour grapes for Richarlison, Arteta's plans bearing fruit but keys going bananas, it all going pear-shaped again for Brendan and Stevie G, and at Anfield, Liverpool making the cherries look like lemons. Plus, we'll be checking out the plum fixtures and juicy dates ahead midweek in the always appealing Premier League. It's all coming up in this Totally Football Show. Monday 29th of August. Crikey, listener, and there you are. I've got Daniel Story of the Eye here alongside Lindsay Hooper of the Offside Raw and Adam Hurry of Metatextuality and Football Clichés. Hello to you all. Hello. Hello. Morning. After that intro, now I know why you were so quick to point out before we started this that I was wearing a peachy top. Lindsay's wearing a peach top, everybody. Listener, what are you wearing? What a week it's been, and what a week it's going to be. I mean, there's a huge amount of the football. We've just had an exciting set of weekend results. We've got the transfer window ending on Thursday, and a full round of midweek games too, plus new episodes of uh, Football Clichés. When's that, Adam? Um, Tuesday evening and Thursday morning. All right, why Tuesday evening? Why is it going to be late? Because we don't work on bank holiday weekends. <laughs> it's bank holiday today. Yes. Wow. For you civilians, perhaps. Lindsay, when's the next offside rule? That's out on Wednesday. Nice. What's in that? Uh, we'll just be doing a review as well, but also okay. a preview to the weekend. Um, nice. We haven't actually sat down. Because of that said bank holiday, we haven't set the agenda yet, but it will be something completely different. We'll observe something from the weekend that hopefully no one else has spotted and wax lyrical about it. It's difficult, though, in a crowded field. <laughs> yeah. Crowded field. That's very much your your, your territory, uh, Adam, the <laughs> left field take. Oh, Must fine. say, the Premier, this season's been quite fertile. Though. Is your Premier League bingo? card filling up nicely in terms of things you'd expect from a our league you've got you, you you've had a nine nil we've mm-hmm. had a a, a sideline manager spat yeah uh what what else have we had what are you still looking out for to make this a a, a classic premier league season well we've had, a, we had a heavy sprinkling of welcome to the premier league which is really making a comeback this season so many people being welcomed to the premier league um which which i think just think ties into the whole 30th anniversary celebrations if mm. i can put it that way um just people very proud of our league as you say so yeah the the handshake gate came very early this season so i don't know what we've got left and you've had know. hair pulling as well yeah oh, yeah, yeah. hair pulling I feel like diving's a bit passe now. We're going to have a diving scandal, so I don't really know what, what there is left. Daniel? Yeah, it's, you're right. It's hard to know. It does feel like we've had everything. I mean, we even had that, that Newcastle-Manchester City 3-3 kind of felt like a maybe a late November or early February night game atmosphere. So it does feel like the Premier League is sort of selling its own brand by cramming everything into the first month of the season. We haven't had a, a bottom-of-the-table team turning over a top-of-the-table-ish team by a heavy scoreline, which, I mean, traditionally comes around to, what, New Year's Day, Boxing Day, that that kind of thing. But Forrest are playing at Manchester City on Wednesday evening, though, we should remember. <laughs> so. <laughs> but you're not bottom-of-the-table, uh, Daniel. We also, also, I think there's room for a, uh, a managerial sacking around an international break to give the new man... Time to that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. yeah. Well, we haven't had an international break. The uh, <laughs> eagle-eyed listener will note. But one's not too far away. By the way, Kjetil's Versners, I do apologise for how I've pronounced that, says there's way too much in and around on the Totally Football Show these days. Have football cliches sort out the correct usage of the term once and for all? Um. Yeah, I mean, we do it on a weekly basis, but um, in and around is a geographical thing, primarily. Um, you can use it in an abstract sense when you're talking about an approximate topic. Um, if you want to use it about people, that's also fine. Everybody knows what it means. Um, mm. It's a very versatile phrase. Um, mm. I can see why people are sick of it, but um, if it's fine with me, it should be fine with you. There you go. I don't mind it, but it does make me chuckle when people talk about in and around players because, you know, think of it literally. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, let's get on to uh, this weekend's headlines. Palace uh, took their usual lead at City until Bernardo Silva and Haaland hat-trick happened. And Liverpool did the 9-0 on Bournemouth. What is it about teams from the Hampshire coast? 
Meanwhile, at St Mary's, the Red Devils beat the Saints in the Old Testament derby. There were 1-1 draws for Brentford and Everton and Wolves Newcastle. Brighton beat Leeds 1-0 to go top four. Leicester lost to 10-man Chelsea to go bottom one. Arsenal maintained their perfect start, beating Fulham. Spurs won 2-0 at Forest. And nominative non-determinism for West Ham at Villa as four nows made it 1-0. Midweek, there's a full round of matches. It starts Tuesday with Palace Brentford and concludes Thursday with Man United at last place Leicester. Let's start, though, if you will, with the juiciest scoreline of the season so far, that Liverpool... 9-0 Bournemouth. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Oh, they've got a ninth. Luis Diaz. What a great header. Oh, oh, oh. Liverpool 9, a Bournemouth 0. Quite the comeback uh, for Liverpool. Danger is overreacting to this as perhaps we have reacted to some of their earlier uh, worries, but it was the biggest win of Jurgen Klopp's career. I don't think anyone wanted to be the team that faced Liverpool next. I just think that whoever was next was going to get a schooling of some sorts. The fact that it was Bournemouth meant that the schooling came in a 9-0 form. Um, And I don't think that would have happened against anyone else. But I think uh, with their defence, it has looked pretty frail, I think, since the start of the season. They haven't got any more reinforcements in the door just yet, although they have got till Thursday. Um, yeah, I did think that Bournemouth would would get a pasting, as did many people, I think. What I didn't see happening, though, James, was that what was a route for Liverpool was certainly not a route for Mo Salah. No Mo Salah. Salah didn't get an assist. He didn't no get Salah. a goal. Mm. It was no Salah, yeah. Mm. Nine goals. He scored none, assisted none. At this rate, he'll be on loan in the Turkish Super League come January as his decline continues. Daniel. Uh, the thing I liked most about this game was post-match when, when Scott Parker was asked as a kind of... Uh, I mean, let's face it, he could have predicted the question, which is along the lines of, you know, that's tough to take. What do you say to the players after this? How do you pick them up off the dressing room floor, etc. and so on? And he, he... I mean, there's a time for honesty and that probably wasn't the time for honesty. And he just sort of said, I'm not really surprised. It's probably going to happen again, which I, I know is a message to the club to try and get some defenders in, but... Isn't a, especially ahead of a midweek program, mm. isn't a brilliant call to arms. Parker looks really down in the dumps. After the first weekend of the season, he was sort of talking up. Everyone said we go down and we're using this as motivation. And now he's saying we'll probably lose 9 0 again. Ooh. Bournemouth are at home to Wolves on Wednesday. We'll talk perhaps The more one about bit of reassurance I can give them is that Wolves aren't the sort of team that give you a 9 0 routing at the minute. <laughs> oh, chuckles. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, as for Liverpool, Roberto Firmino with three assists and two goals. Crikey, he's up to 100 Liverpool goals now. Oof, Harvey Elliott with a banger for his first Premier League goal. Also, gravitationally challenged Fabio Carvalho got his first Liverpool score as well. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, uh, who didn't have to worry about any of that defending business in this game, 32 final third passes, completed nine long balls, six crosses, scored a great goal... 123 touches, jeepers. Crikey. What about a Jurgen Klopp who pre-game had said, yes, I was wrong, we do need a midfielder. Where, Where is that now? I kind of think that has to be exactly the same. I think he would be foolish, and I don't think he will, because he isn't foolish, would think that this is problem sorted. Everything we saw against Manchester United, kind of Firmino having to drop deep to get the ball because they didn't have enough of it. Trent Alexander-Arnold having to defend the midfield, having to do two or three jobs each. None of that applied here because they had all the possession, they had all the territory, they had all pretty much all the goals from minute one. They scored in the third minute, uh, and yeah, Firmino is is excellent when he can just stand in one place and not have any defenders marking him and pass to other players. It, that's unlikely to be the case all all season. They do have a, a run of games, Newcastle at home now and, and obviously the, the Merseyside derby at Goodison next weekend where if they were to win those two games, I think we could legitimately say, OK, they put that start to the season behind us. Maybe that was down to poor luck and fatigue and a bit of bad planning. But I don't think that should change. If Klopp thought they needed a midfielder on Friday, I don't think he shouldn't think that on Saturday evening. Right. On Firmino, I have a bone to pick with his brace hmm. against Bournemouth. Um Lots of people hailing one of his goals as a no-look finish. Not buying it. Not having it. Um, it well, I mean, in, in, in the strictest possible terms, he wasn't looking at the ball or the goal when he struck the shot. This is the one where the keeper had parried it and he sort of followed it up. Mm. And um, I just think it was the natural torque of the body 
as he swung his leg. I'm not buying it as a deliberately not looking at the ball finish. So it uh, doesn't go mm. into his oeuvre of no-look finishes for me. OK. Well, there you go then. Why can't we get to 10? We do this every time. Is there an answer? I'm fascinated by this because we've had so many sevens. We've had eight eights, I believe, five nines. Um, there's been a 5-5, five, five, a 6-4, 7-3, 8-2 and a 9-1. Um, so statistically speaking... A 10-0 should have happened by now. Um, but the Liverpool-Bournemouth case study is a very important one because your nines and your tens, theoretically, they rely quite heavily on a team who aren't prepared to put their to take their foot off the pedal mm. at 5 or 6 nil. job done, conserve some energy. They, uh, Liverpool, in, in a tedious kind of narrative sense, had a point to prove, so therefore they were sort of kept going and Bournemouth were also disgustingly bad. Right. Um, so it does it does require kind of intense motivation on the goal scoring team's part, which I don't think is often the case. Well, could City have had? Do you think similar? Could they have been in and around the nine figure mark? Do you think had they? <laughs> there or thereabouts, James. I think. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're quite a foot off the pedally kind of team when they're yeah. cruising, aren't they? They're not. They don't really sort of pin you down and make you suffer, do they? Okay. But so, I mean, I, I see why it's, it should be rare that it happens, but having got all the way to nine every time, this kind of tantric thing of never quite crossing the line, why, is, it, right. is it a taboo or just one of those things that... I, yeah, I, I wondered if it was a taboo, a kind of, oh no, we've put double figures on a team, it looks like we're, we're it doesn't taking look like, the I mean, the, the, the Vardy-Leicester thing where he was desperate to get there. Yeah, victory. and I also think that there will be a kudos to having, the, the on your own, the Premier League's record scoreline. Mm. Um you know, drawing that with someone else, 10 will be seismic in terms of coverage. So I don't suspect there's a taboo to it. I suspect it is just a case that, you know, very boring thing to say, but it, it normally requires you scoring a lot of goals before the hour mark because inevitably after that point, especially with a midweek programme in Liverpool's case, even with that point to prove, mm. there is a benefit to just passing things around. Passing things around against Bournemouth was still good enough to score three or four goals, let's be honest. But yeah. um, And Mohamed Salah not scoring, that kind of made me feel on 82 minutes, we're going to get 10 here because he's going to be desperate to score one of these goals. So I, I really thought, between that and, and Celtic winning 9-0 as well at the weekend, I really thought we were going to get one. All right. A note of caution, though, um, at no, well, around 9-0 at Anfield, you saw Klopp going over to Scott Parker and offering the very patronising arm around the shoulder in some <laughs> philosophical words. Probably sort of, I've been there, but I haven't actually been there kind of chat. And and the um, the kind of reverse of the Scott Parker post-match interview, which was Klopp giving the sort of very sort of, I'm sorry to have had to do this kind of interview, so very deadpan, performatively downcast mm. kind of interview. Uh, I do worry what we would see at 10. I mean, sort of, I don't know. <laughs> You've picked up on something, though, there. The fact that he went over when it was still 9-0. Maybe what he was saying is, don't worry, we're done there. I've told him. Yeah. 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 The height difference just made it worse. It was awful. Just so you know, we we, we could score two more here, just so you know that, but we aren't going to. Exactly. Well, will the Man United manager remain the only 10 in the Premier League this season? We shall see. Meantime... Uh, that was Liverpool. Uh, does this result make you especially worried, though, for Aston Villa, uh, who Bournemouth, of course, beat 2-0 back on the opening day? And Bournemouth, too, obviously. That's, what, three defeats in a row for the Cherries after that win over Steven Gerrard's side. In fact, Garrick asks, do Bournemouth already have whipping boys status already? Uh, quickly for Adam, says Garrick, any specific criteria to be met to be classified as whipping boys? I would say that Whipping Boys is more of a kind of 14 group thing. So maybe even stretch it to qualification campaigns for World Cups and Euros. So, But I'm not having Whipping Boys in a Really? Norwich weren't league. Whipping Boys? Mm, I would have them as Basement Boys. They could be Basement, basement Boys. boys. But nice. nah, Whipping Boys just feels more of a kind of short to medium term thing. I feel like yeah. Whipping Boys wrong. and Basement Boys might often go hand in hand. Often, literally. But, um, but anyway... My my shout for the ultimate whipping boys would be Tahiti at the Confederations Cup in mm. 2013 when they they lost I think six one ten nil and eight nil that that's your classic whipping boys out of their depth but sort of happy to be there yeah very nice very nice uh, well it was a shame we couldn't watch it live on the television but there you go a absolutely terrific performance by Liverpool was it just a freak result we will see perhaps. 
further evidence uh, one way or the other this week with Liverpool Newcastle on Wednesday and then the trip to Everson for the Derby on Saturday. And Newcastle on Wednesday. You saw Newcastle just this weekend, Lindsay, in their 1-1 draw away at Molyneux. Two exceptional goals, first of all. They were great goals. They were fantastic. Um, I didn't think that Neves's was going to be topped, but it was. Um, step forward, Alanson Maximan, and that was some volley that he executed. I mean, poor clearance from Huang, I have to say, who'd only just come on. Um, but yeah, Sam Maximan, you can't really say anything about that finish other than just ogle at it. Um, I think, though, from a Newcastle point of view, when you do watch it back, or certainly from being there, they will have been very relieved to, to have come away with anything from that game. Apart from the last five minutes where I thought they they really piled on more pressure on Wolves, um, they really didn't dominate the ball. I thought they looked leggy. I thought that Newcastle didn't look as fit, certainly in the first half. So for a Liverpool team that can pass around you, move you out of position quite easily, that would be concerning to me if I'm a Newcastle United fan at the moment. Mm. Um, what they do have is that physical presence and, and it will be scrappy. It was a scrappy game against Wolves. I imagine this will be scrappy too. Uh, if you're a Newcastle fan, you're probably also a bit concerned by uh, Alassane Maximat and his hamstring. Yeah, and and they were missing Bruno Guimaraes, which is a you know with the greatest respect to Sean Longstaff is a, is a drop down to him. Uh, he provides that physicality that Lizzie talks about, and it's an incredibly workmanlike midfield with him and Joe Linton. Um, but Bruno just kind of knitting play together between the lines is exactly what Eddie Howe's team needs because they they just looked a little bit sort of compartmentalised as a team. Like Everyone was sort of doing their job pretty well, but they just weren't really linking together. And so Maximan is one player who can do that and Bruno is the other. And if they're both missing, yeah. Yes, but Daniel, they're going to have Alexander Isak, the mm. record yeah, signing. True. And I spoke to Alanson Maximan pre-match and he was saying that his first impressions of him in training were that he was a finisher. He said he'd finished quite a few chances. The only reason he didn't play against Wolves is that there was a problem with the work permit, but it should be sorted out for this game against Liverpool. So I agree. I think without Bruno, they they do look a different side, but we're yet to see what Isak offers. So um, I imagine that that will be Liverpool, Newcastle, where we'll see him first. OK, we did see Matej Nunes for Wolves who are still bottom two with that point, but have Bournemouth next. Thumbs up emoji. Newcastle's prospects on Wednesday. 4-3, 4-3, yes. <laughs> we yeah, don't have to like, do this anymore, do we? No. Surely. I like BT's decision to put all 10 games on simultaneously so they can both cover themselves for the inevitable non-4-3 or not cover themselves as they wish. Mm. And also furnish the viewer with a complete range of options which i think is probably their priority sure <laughs> mm, excellent all right well we'll talk more about the uh, the games to come midweek and what's just happened a quick nod to the fact that as daniel mentioned celtic did also win 9-0 this weekend that was away at dundee united on sunday celtic there with the biggest away win in their history which may come in handy as they prepare for a Champions league group that features real madrid and shakhtar and rb leipzig as well uh, we did a special uh, European edition of the Totally Football Show roundup of the Champions League draws, which was out on Friday. Do have a look for that if you're curious for Rafa and Jules and James and Avro's takes on the eight Champions League groups. We've got a new show coming out on Tuesday lunchtime featuring, well, of course, all the big stories from Europe, like Bayern Munich not winning, thanks to the incredible Jan Sommer. I know what you did, Jan Sommer, as I think Borussia Mönchengladbach <laughs> tweeted. Uh, 19 saves he made on uh, Julian Nagelsmann's side. Uh, a Bundesliga record for a single match. We'll get Rafa on that. We'll also get the reaction to that extraordinary Paul Pogba, Kylian Mbappé, kidnap blackmail story. Yeah. Anyway, next up though, back to the parochial old Premier League. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman and we finally reached the closing week of the summer transfer window. Premier League clubs have spent more than their German, Italian, Spanish 
and French counterparts combined, and they are not done yet. Don't miss any of the twists and turns with myself, David Ornstein, Adam Crafton, and many more on the Athletic Football Podcast this week as we take you inside the deals that really matter. We're free to listen wherever you get your podcasts, and we're ad-free on the Athletic app. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Midweek round of action, everybody. You've got Palace-Brentford on Tuesday, Fulham-Brighton as well, Saints-Chelsea and Leeds-Everton. Wednesday, Bournemouth-Wolves, Man City-Forest, Arsenal-Villa, West Ham-Spurs and that Liverpool-Newcastle clash. And then Thursday, last place Leicester take on a Man United side, now Gidley up in eighth. Uh, City for you, uh, Daniel, with Forrest. Uh, Man City, who took on Crystal Palace at the weekend. It looked like it was happening again. Palace racing. Can I use the expression racing, Adam, to a 2-0 lead? And should it have been 3-0? I I think technically it it probably shouldn't have been because there was a slight movement of foot towards the ball as it was being released. I I don't know. I think it's one of those... Yeah, if it goes against your team, you're furious. If it goes for your team, you say it's the right decision, probably. Um, I do like Palace's, the way in which Palace are are continuing to take leads at the Etihad, but doing it with fewer and fewer shots and fewer and fewer attacks each time. So I think they scored twice from their first one shot of the game uh, against City, which will be difficult to beat, um, given the early own goal. And yeah, they just, I mean, Vieira said it after the game, he just... He basically said we were knackered in the second half. Mm. Uh, you can only stop City if you actually have a counter-attacking threat. And without Zahar and with tired players, they just didn't really have that. And, and Erling Haaland is a, an absolute freak and will score these types of goals all season. It mm. begs the question, doesn't it? How many do you have to be up against City <laughs> for them to actually lose or draw? What yeah, scoreline is up. not a dangerous scoreline against City? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, they've been behind by two goals in four of the last six Premier League games and haven't lost any of them. So I think we can confirm that two, <laughs> two goals is not enough. Yeah. Which which I found really interesting, Daniel, because I, I do remember last season there being this stat about the fact that yeah. Man City hadn't come back from being a goal down, I think it was at half time, pretty much ever. It was like once in the last 15 years or something crazy. Yeah, when, it was it, it was the, the, the kind of... <laughs> The stereotype of City is that one goal kind of sent them into, sent them into this, oh my goodness, we're actually behind meltdown. Uh, I suppose one way to deal with that is to go behind an awful lot and have quite a lot of practice, which is what they've done over the last six games over you know either side of the summer break. And yeah, Newcastle looked tired, Crystal Palace looked tired. It's, it's, it's incredibly tiring to play against City, whether you have the ball or not, whether you have a lead or not, whether you whether it's minute one or minute 90. And it just not even in terms of kind of energy, just concentration and decision-making. And they're just completely relentless. And yes, I'm kind of haunted by Bournemouth's defeat at Anfield at the weekend and hoping that they don't press down on that pedal too hard on Wednesday. I thought Haaland's third goal was an example of what they didn't have before his arrival. I don't think any 
of City's players prior to him coming to the team could have scored that goal. So I think that's that's the epitome really of what he offers. And and also they're starting to look for him more. I thought in the first couple of games, it was as if Haaland's here, but we don't really know what to do with him. And now suddenly those those forward balls, even when he's got defenders at his feet, he's still managing to pick it up and out muscle and get through. And I, I think that's something that we're going to see a lot more of now is the ball in behind from City, which we've not been used to. That third goal was really, really Haaland as well. It was, it was the sort of goal that we've seen in all the highlights clips until we joined City, which kind of... I've seen it a lot. Rashford it was like Rashford's goal against Liverpool the other day. It was like when strikers set off, like they're the anchor leg of a four by one hundred team, so that's reaching out for the baton behind them because they know the through ball's coming. But the, the extra thing with Haaland is he knows, as Lindsay says, when there's a defender kind of in his vicinity, he backs himself so visibly to fend them off before he even gets the shot away. And the finish was really Haalandy as well. It wasn't sort of belted into the corner. It was sort of prodded, poked scooped out of his feet because he's a big man and he has to kind of do that so it's um he's a really kind of functional finisher I've never seen a finisher quite like him he sort of finds the way it doesn't look ungainly it's just really odd looking Adam will know more accurately than me but it felt maybe seven or eight years ago in the Premier League we had this kind of reawakening on possession where having all the ball didn't necessarily mean you were dominant because there were different ways of judging a team's dominance and I think we're probably going to have to do the same with touches because there was a time last season where I think it was Lukaku was kind of mocked and he played awfully in this game and he'd had eight touches I think. Haaland had 16 touches against Palace and he completed six passes that doesn't matter if, you, if you're a striker like him and you score three goals. So it was a thing that happened with him in, in, in the Bundesliga where he'd had very few touches for Dortmund. I think he scored four away at Union Berlin where he had about 20 touches of the ball in 90 minutes. And as I say, I think he's, so he's different because of that. I think we're used to strikers, particularly ones new to the league, kind of wanting to be involved, which is a kind of offset of this hour league thing. He doesn't seem to care an iota about that because he's going to back himself to score goals. I don't want him dropping deep. He wouldn't look good. No. And I don't really want him kind of running the channels like Lukaku at his best would do. So I, I kind of forgive Harlan not having that many touches. I kind of do. I, that was one of the <laughs> glorious sights when he was at Dortmund was him basically bearing down on goal with the ball at his feet and, and defenders bouncing off him. So, mm. But I think he can pretty much do it all. As, as Lindsay was saying, one or two kind of teething problems with City's adjustment to him in these opening games but already his numbers are just extraordinary six goals in his first four Premier League appearances that's his 13th hat-trick of his career he is now top scorer in the league and is averaging a goal every 54 minutes Ooh. can we have a quick word on Palace as well oh yeah Palace because they've had a really tough start haven't they played pretty much three of the big guns already City, Liverpool and Arsenal there you go. So I'm actually naming their next fixture midweek. They're playing Brentford and I'm naming this the best of the rest in London. So if we think that Spurs, Arsenal and Chelsea are fighting it out for the top four, I think this is between Brentford and Palace who finishes next. Best of the rest from London. Um, mm. So that's how I'm, I'm dubbing this one. All right. There you go, BT. Stick that <laughs> on your cap, <laughs> On your ticker. Yeah. Mm. All right, that's what Palace are going to be doing on Tuesday at home to Brentford City, as we say. Meanwhile, we'll be hosting Nottingham Forest. And Daniel, you saw them in action Sunday against Spurs. Uh, Jamie Carragher, I think it was, summing up Forest's performance in commentary is very good at the stuff between the two boxes, but less so at the rest. Is that fair? Yeah, it's completely accurate. Steve Cooper's got a slight issue whereby he signed or had signed an awful lot of players. I thought it was quite instructive that after all the foreign signing, foreign imports that Forrest had made, he picked the first only British and Irish full Premier League starting eleven, I think, in eleven years. Um so that was that was interesting. I, I think he's still got a problem which is the pace of the defenders. Um I think you can afford in a back three two defenders who are kind of not as quick if you've got one to kind of mop up but Playing all three is not ideal. Moussini Akate got injured in the West Ham game, which isn't helpful. Uh, and yeah, they're also creating a high number of half chances and not many really clear-cut chances. They had 17 shots against Spurs yesterday and only one of them was on target, which is partly down to bad finishing and shots being blocked, but also kind of about where those shots are being taken from. So I, I think they played well and, and I think it will take time and 
the worry is that everyone's still saying at the end of October this is going to take time. This is going to take time. But well, if you we will keep see. buying players, yeah, Renan Lodi in from um, in from Atletico Madrid. Uh, I think he will be an upgrade on the options they have. He will start. I think they. I expect them to buy a central defender, which Lindsay may come in on who that might be pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the reality is, is they will have signed twenty players and won't still possible. Well, they will just about have a full. 25-man squad, which kind of indicates that they didn't really have any choice, but also indicates just how much overhaul there's been at the club. Forrest, with one or two issues still, they're certainly very good already at meeting out rough justice, though. Brennan Johnson on Richarlison. One of the highlights, let's be frank, of the weekend. Did the Brazilian deserve it, do you think? Mm. Uh, yes. Yes, we're yes. I, I do want to go overboard with this. Um, I was neither dismayed by the showboating, although I would have to say it, the game wasn't quite at the threshold hmm. that showboating should have taken place, you know, historically. Yeah. So, um, but I'm fine with it, and as most people roughly are. Uh, uh, but it's a bit like taking your shirt off when you scored a goal when people are sort of outraged by the by people getting a yellow card for it. Players right. know it's going to happen. It's fine. They're at peace with it. It's only a yellow card. Same with Richarlison. He's been around. <laughs> he's been around long enough to know that if you juggle the ball away from home. Late in a game that the other team are losing, you will you will be spiralled into the air um, and it will cause you some mild pain. He knew it was coming. Uh, everyone's happy. It's fine. Everyone was thoroughly entertained. It's well, not some, a big deal at all. Some smart people making the point that it was actually counterproductive for Forrest, who essentially conceded a free kick and possession to a Spurs team who were looking to run down the clock anyway. Yeah, I, w- I would say I'm not sure any of that facts into Brennan Johnson's thinking. <laughs> as he yeah, it's a really back. cathartic thing to do, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Completely understandable, absolutely fine. It was, I mean, the showboating wasn't that bad. It's not like he did a, a kilon and went kind of racing down the field, bouncing the ball on his head or something. It's one of those things, it's one of those things that happens, though, that if the game hadn't have been on TV, no one yeah. would have remembered it 15 seconds later. It's just mm. that, you know, you ask Steve Cooper about it and he says a Forest player probably wouldn't do that, but if he's allowed to do it at Spurs, so be it. Snide, snide. You ask Conte, he says, I didn't really see it, but uh, it, it, it was probably all right. Uh, and it was. It was just it was just a thing that happened. And both sides got exactly what they wanted out of it. Good. Forrest and and so did the viewers, because it's always nice to see, you know, in the, in the slightly, I, I don't want to say homogenised, but it's nice to see when players go outside the kind of normal parameters of behaviour, whether it's a scrap, frankly, or, or, or just kicking another player up into the air, as long as nobody's hurt, he said quickly. Anyway, sorry, Lindsay. Uh, one of the things that did emerge from Molyneux, just uh, touching on new players who could potentially be going to Forest, as Daniel hinted, was that when Bruno Large was asked post-match about Willy Bolly not being in the matchday squad, he said he was included in the matchday squad but hadn't turned up. Um, we know that there has been a link between Forrest and Bolly as potentially this central defender that you bring in. He is one of those anomalies, Daniel, as well, that um, that footballer that doesn't really like football, that footballer that doesn't watch football, doesn't keep across transfer news, doesn't know. I, the amount of times that I'd, I'd spoken to Bolly after a summer transfer window and said, oh, you know, I think it was Jota, actually, when he went to Liverpool. Wow, big news, Jota going, has he? Has he gone? Didn't know. So, um, so yeah, he doesn't, and he's, he's made that quite explicit on occasions that he's not a football fan as it were he doesn't watch yeah. avidly he won't watch on wednesday night then perfect yeah as yeah. long as he doesn't watch on wednesday night we're, we should be absolutely grand for him to sign on thursday does morning. he even know that forrest got promoted does he think he's <laughs> probably not games coming thick and fast in the championship poor bloke yeah but I, I do think that Forrest really need a striker. If you're relying on Morgan Gibbs-White to do most of the, the legwork in attack, which it felt like when I was listening on the radio, I don't know from being there, Daniel, you know, he couldn't do that for, for Wolves. I mean, obviously he scored some goals for Sheffield United in the championship, but I don't think he should be the player that you're relying on. I think, I think he played pretty well yesterday. I think probably Forrest's best outfield player. It's going to take some time for that Lingard, Gibbs-White, Brennan Johnson thing to link. And they... The inevitability of the spending is that they have Emmanuel Dennis and Tyro Nee on the bench and Sam Surridge on the bench, I suppose. So the question for Cooper is whether if we don't play well for a game, he rotates it automatically because he's not really a manager that normally rotates his team. And there's obviously a slight nagging issue about which of those players that came in were on his transfer list and which the club felt that they wanted to sign. And that's going to be the key to Forrest staying up or not, I think. Mm. As will the form of Dean Henderson, who saved another penalty. 
Crikey, that's two penalty saves in two games at the city ground to deny Harry Kane what would have been his hat-trick. Kane, who either side of this missed penalty, which was his first failed spot kick in 22 attempts, having successfully converted the previous 21, math fans, uh, reaching a tally of 201 league goals with the brace that he did get in this game. Uh, extraordinary. I mean, Harry Kane. From a football cliches point of view, Adam, hmm. does this drive you mad when when it's mentioned that it's a Harry Kane miss rather than a Dean Henderson save, which it actually was? Yes, it was? does. Yes, it does. Yeah. I think it's um, it's it's an easy thing for us to fix collectively. Did I do that? I'm feeling bad you were getting now. towards it. <laughs> but I, I, <laughs> I didn't notice. I, I ushered in the topic very much, <laughs> framing it as a Dean Henderson prodigy. Hmm. But yeah. you're right, Lindsay. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, Dean Henderson, everybody. Mm. Saved 10 of his last 21, apparently. Uh, yeah, well, he, he may well be busy on Wednesday night. They're in his sponsorless jersey. Uh, producer Charlie says it feels weird watching Forrest with no sponsor on the shirt. I like it. Mm. it. For me, he compares it to a Sunday League team in the Premier League. I think that's why he was making that comparison, Danny. I'm not, not sure. Uh to me, it looked a little bit, you know, like when adverts get clever or even video games too, and they have a match between an old timey team and a modern side. It feels a little bit like that. If they've managed <laughs> it to sounds quite cleverly edited. yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, like a 1960s side against a Premier League side and clever cutaways. My only gripe with it is if we aren't going to, and we will have a sponsor eventually, but for, for a kit not to have a sponsor, it feels like the kit hasn't made the most of it in that if you're doing that, I'd quite like the pinstripes back or mm. something that covers the rest of that shirt. Because at the moment, I think it does look like a shirt that's a missing charity. a sponsor. Oh, yeah. To a Barcelona. We yeah. already are. We're giving homes to new footballers across Europe. <laughs> then right. advertise it on those shirts. <laughs> More coming every day. Renan Lodi coming in on loan from Atletico Madrid to Forest, where uh, owner Maranakis is on a wild card, essentially. Uh, Daniel, deadline for his squad is Thursday evening, though, much to the rest of the continent's relief, I suspect. That takes Forrest, or will take Forrest, to 18 signings and more on the way. Uh, just a huge number of transfers going on at the moment, not just in the Premier League. Did you see Burnley and their magnificent Breaking Bad homage uh, for the arrival of PSG keeper Dennis Frankie? Did you see that? No, I've not seen oh, that. Oh, seek it out. It's a DF. My star, my perfect signing. <laughs> D.F. How the heck do we think that is? Duncan Ferguson? Diego Forlan? Dennis Frankie? <laughs> you got me. It's very, very special. Burnley are, are absolutely on one this summer for those. Are they? What else have they done? Yeah, yeah. They've they've had a Jurassic Park ones. I saw had, that one. Yeah. yeah. How did that the, one work? The water. Uh, oh, impact the, tremors. Was it Britain's yeah. most haunted? Yes. Um, for, is that a guy who just happened to be called Darko, and that was it. That was the link. <laughs> um, it was one of the most deliberately tenuous signing videos I've seen. Um, mm. You had to admire it, but then I thought the, the, the sheer logistics that went into this. And the bloke wasn't yeah. into it at all, as as they so often aren't. Mm. And uh, but yeah, fine. If that's that's the way things are going, then we'll all have to go with it. You should only be allowed those sorts of videos in the Premier League. <laughs> really? I don't. Yeah. yeah. Well, no. It's it's either Premier League or it's. You Where know, does it it's stop? Very low and non-league. To non-league. That is yeah. just yeah. rank elitism. I'm not having Jurassic them. Park. Let them have their fun. Absolutely. I, I think any any incentive to uh, creativity. Uh, you know, on, on the social medias to be welcomed. Although West Ham have essentially won the gold medal for dredging up an old show to introduce a, a player this this summer. <laughs> uh, the nice. transfer market concludes uh, on Thursday. What's going to happen between now and then? It looks like Anthony is going to be a done deal from Ajax. A lot of interest to see what this means for that Portuguese fella with the rumours flying of a move to Napoli or possibly still sporting Lisbon. Uh, Daniel, you got your fingers crossed for Yanazai to West Ham. Yes, to complete the David Moyes dynasty tour from Adam Yanazai. I mean, if I was going to pick two Premier League clubs I thought Yanazai might move to, it would be West Ham and Everton. So he's certainly doing something right in the in, in the his kind of yeah, he's gone from Manchester United at Moyes to uh 
Right Sausage to Sunderland. Egg? Yeah, well, Sunderland first on loan. Right. Uh, and then, yes, which David Moyes also felt like he was. And then Sociedad. So, yes. He, he so, this would West be his Ham's fourth be... club. Yeah. And his only four clubs and all David Moyes. And they're all David Moyes. That's magnificent. That's pretty hard. I mean, I don't so want didn't to... Harry Redknapp have this with a player? Where oh, he, he did. Every single... Several, yeah. 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 I mean, Cranchard. 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 That was it. Nico Cranchard is the one I'm talking Nico. <laughs> but I don't think he ever... Re- I mean, I never attained quite that purity. No. That, that, that kind of right. single-mindedness of playing for four different clubs, but all of them under Moisey. Hmm. Talk more about West Ham later on. Uh, in fact, how about we do that next? Ahead of their clash Wednesday with Tottenham. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. A bit of space here for Fornals to operate in. Fornals shoots in. deflected! It's in! West Ham have scored at last! And it's Pablo Fornals with a big deflection that took it over Martinez. West Ham finally got a goal and a win uh, this weekend. Message boards in the first half of their clash with Villa at Villa Park had been kind of a light with doom and gloom. How did we become so bad, West Ham? Seemed to be very much the message, uh, the only side in the Western Hemisphere yet to score a goal. And then it happened without even so much as a shot on target, which is always fun. And a 1-0 win was the result away at Villa. Any positives from this performance? It wasn't on telly, so I don't know if any of us actually saw that, it. That was, yeah, having watched the highlights, that was one of the positives that it wasn't on telly. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it was not a good football match. And, in, uh, you know, not to the same extreme, but almost like Liverpool with Bournemouth. I think West Ham, the fact that West Ham were playing this Aston Villa at the moment was as much a reason for their win as, as anything else, because Villa looks so lethargic and just like listless. And they actually have... There are three Premier League teams who have got a problem in that they've basically got nothing on the bench to come on. But Villa have got a stacked bench at the moment, and yet it's just nothing. I mean, they've got Arsenal away and then City at home next two games, and if they lose them both, which I assume they will, then Gerard will be in some some trouble. Well, Dean Smith was sacked as Villa manager last season after five defeats in a row. Gerard is currently on a three defeats from four run, with, as you say, Arsenal away midweek, then Man City at home, Leicester away after that, and then Southampton at home. So potentially easier fixtures. But Richard David Pye asking the question, how vital are the next four matches before the international break for Stephen Gerrard at Aston Villa? What do you think? How thin is the ice? Getting thinner all the time. Mm. Seems quite a hard manager to sack. Like a lot of other managers, perhaps a lot more pusillanimous than Gerrard, probably take the news quite, quite easily. But I feel, I feel like he would put up a fight. It's a really quiet, stern fight. Saying no, no, we're not doing this. No way. <laughs> yeah, I'm staying. But um, um, Gerard afflicted by one of these kind of mid-level malaises of a team in bad form, which is um, he's had five different centre-back pairings in Villa's five games this season, which never bodes well. When, once someone has spotted that, you're in trouble. Definitely. Mm. There are there are short memories though. I I do have to have a wry smile when I hear fans ringing in saying, "Oh, you know, we've got all this talent. We've got Coutinho. He's got to go." And then in the same breath, I'm thinking, "But you wouldn't have Coutinho if if Gerard wasn't the manager." Would that be a problem? <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> well, the at the moment, maybe not. But I, the way the way that the the memories of football fans sometimes just erodes overnight. I, I do <laughs> think that he had a lot of pulling power for some of the players that have come in. Um, we all did that, didn't we, over the last transfer window where Villa were making signings. We're like, oh, really? They've managed to get them? They've managed to... So, and that must be a Gerard factor. Mm. Yeah, there must be a, a, an yeah, element I think of that. one of the complicating factors is that Mauricio Pochettino is pretty happy to come back to England at some point. And I don't think he'll get... I think the top, top four, probably even big six clubs and managers are, are fairly safe now. So it's that group of teams below who must think that they can try and tempt him in. And Villa would probably consider themselves to be one of those. I guess Leicester maybe another if, if that continues to go south. It, it would seem an extraordinary step down to go from Paris Saint-Germain to a non-elite Premier League club. But if he wants to move back to England, then he might feel like he kind of has to do that Southampton upwards route again. So if there's a better manager out there, 
and I think he probably is a better manager than Steven Gerrard, and I don't think that's particularly controversial to say. Mm. All right, well, for now, uh, Steven is in place. There hasn't been a vote of confidence. The badge is uncracked, but the numbers are stark. Villa only three wins in their last 15 Premier League games, and two of those came against sides that were subsequently relegated last season. It's not great, is it, with Arsenal top of the table and next up. They just had a big party at the Emirates. Woohoo! Poppers and bunting after a 2-1 victory over Fulham. Lindsay, you were there. Perfect start for Mikel Arteta's side. Four straight victories, Lindsay, and they upset Richard Keyes as well. Bingo. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what you call a hole-in-one. Um, <laughs> I think, actually, from, from their point of view in the first half, Arsenal were all over Fulham, but they have got to take something away from the fact their first shot on target, Fulham, Mitrovic manages to score. So there, there clearly is an element of leaving yourself a little bit open at the back. I'm not convinced by Arsenal's playing out from the back yet. Um, I like Gabriel and Saliba together, very much think they're a good partnership, but there is something, there is a mistake in them and it got exposed. If anyone was going to do it, it was going to be Mitrovic. So did, did they miss Sinchenko, do you think, though? His calmness, his, his distribution as part of that playing out, I think it's been exceptional in the opening weeks. Yeah, and it was the first time that Arteta has changed his starting eleven so far this season, and that was because two injuries were picked up in training on Friday. So Zinchenko was one of them with his knee, and there was a thigh strain for Thomas Party as well. So it's the first time he's had to rejig, so there might be an element of that. But, I mean, overall, Arsenal were sensational, I have to say. It was such a good match to watch. Um, Odegaard has got to be one of the informed players this Premier League season He's enjoying being captain, clearly, but the passing, there was one in particular where he wasn't even facing that direction and he managed to hook it out to the wing to Jesus. I mean, being there, I'm just replaying that in my mind, but it might not have even been on the highlights because there was so much. But yeah, he, he is just incredible with his vision. Um, and the and the way that he's just making everyone tick through that midfield, they've needed him. They've needed this role, I think, um, Arsenal. So I don't think that they're bulletproof is mm. what I would say. I don't mm. think they are, but I think they are much improved from last season. Right. Do, do we want to go back on the keys thing? Or is it just kind of we've not, said well, I would I would say, and this is not in Richard Keyes' defence, I don't think it was just a keys thing. He, he is, as ever, the strongest proponent of any slightly controversial view. But um, there were he other said, people He said, basically, saying, for anyone who missed it, for anyone who's yeah. not across Richard Keyes' output... <laughs> Uh, he he essentially accused Arsenal of of it being a symptom of how the how far the club had fallen that they were now willing to celebrate as if they'd won a title or a cup just because they'd come from behind to beat mm. Fulham. I mean, the two very quickly, two things. Firstly, the kind of the more scientific answer is that Arsenal have been absolutely terrible at coming from behind to winning. Uh, I think the last seventeen league games they'd gone behind and they'd not won. So they'd been really bad at coming back. So that was clearly a factor. 17? Yeah, and they'd lost the last six after after trailing. So they'd just been really bad at getting back into games. So that's clearly a factor. There, there was some adversity. They got through it. They don't normally get through it. But the more general point is like, why celebrate anything then? Like, why celebrate your team scoring in the first half because they might lose? Like, you're allowed to be joyful in the moment without kind of holding yourself back and reining yourself in and thinking, well, hang on, I'm going to look silly if we don't win the title now. It's mm. just obvious. I mean, as ever with Keys, it's so obviously nonsense that you almost don't have to say anything because right. the argument itself proves its own nonsense. It's not like it's not like uh, Arteta went over to Marco Silva and put an arm around his shoulder at the two at the two one or anything. <laughs> Ruben yeah. Neves had this complaint though, didn't he? That was back in yes. February. Yeah. About them over celebrating, but I I don't think I don't think it's a thing. I think if you want to celebrate, you celebrate, don't you? Let's not get rid of any more joy from society. Exactly. I think as as soon as you come from behind late to win a game, the context goes out the window. It doesn't matter who you're playing, it doesn't matter who you are. The, the celebrations will always be the same. Um it's fairly simple. There you go. Uh the new invincibles though, Lindsay. <laughs> They are top of the table, the only team in England's top four divisions with a 100% winning record. What did you make of, of Fulham, by the way, who looked a, uh, well, a tough nut for Arsenal to crack? I think they're going to be difficult for most teams to get past this season. They, they've they shown already, haven't they, against the bigger guns that they can be really organised. I think Marco Silva has got every single one of them playing to their best ability. 
I think when you add Mitrovic getting goals at the end of it as well, you know, the fact that he's got four in four, mm. then suddenly they are not relegation fodder, James. I don't think that they are right now. If they can carry on. The only thing I would say about that is we do have to check in in January, February, because it is the turn of the year that we've seen before. Brighton have those spells where where they were doing great and then suddenly fall off a cliff. We saw it with Brentford, didn't we? There's always mm. a team that has a great start. And then after the new year, they can't maintain it. But from early signals and early signs, I, I think that Fulham are going to be safe this year. OK. Marco Silva saying post-game at the Emirates that... Uh, the next few days are going to be crucial as he looks to add a little bit of squad depth to the cottagers. Uh, can I offer an incredible stat? Please do. Uh, on the subject of Odegaard, 8% of all the Premier League goals this season have been scored by the two Norwegians, Haaland and Odegaard. This was coming into Sunday's games, which is remarkable when you think that Norway won't be represented at the World Cup, but those two, eh? Woof. Mm. Sorry, Daniel, I think you were... I just can't quite work out why it would be a complete knee-jerk, but why no club has gone in for Alexander Mitrovic after his start for the season. One of the th- one of the things about the transfer window extending to to the end of August, rather than stopping before the end of the season, is that promoted managers and managers of mid to lower table clubs hate it because they can have their best players picked off. And you know, with the, is this a call to arms to Forest? Well, no, I mean, don't, he, he has played for Olympiacos, actually, so don't run. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you talk about, you know, Anthony Gordon's being targeted for 60 million, for example. I, I'm not saying that he should be bought, but I can't fathom why there's not been any rumours at all. You know, Chelsea, for example, are looking for a striker who isn't necessarily wanting to play, going to play every single game in Europe and at home, but would be a great option when he does. And that, it feels like it's just such an obvious fit for clubs. Well, as I, I mean, I famously said on this very podcast about how perfect a fit Gabriel Jesus was for Arsenal. I sort of feel the same about Mitrovic and Chelsea, but with the caveat that morally, I think they've missed the boat. Like, if they thought he was good, yeah, they should yeah. have signed him a year ago before he hit 43 goals in the Championship. He was clearly good enough for the Premier League. I, didn't, I can't believe there was any debate about it. I love Mitrovic, and I'll tell you why I love Mitrovic. It's because in 2022, we're obsessed with, with our strikers being quick, and covering ground quickly and the perfect ideal being Haaland who could do everything and run quickly. Um, but Mitrovic is the kind of last kind of standing sort of slow striker. He can do everything, but he's not quick. But he makes up for it because so, everything he does just works. And it's so great to see a striker still being able to do that. I love him so much. But uh, I think he's just perfect. Why, why is it working this season for him when so... So famously, it didn't last time he was he, he was up with the promoters. Well, he, he reportedly had a, a pretty strained relationship with uh, Scott Parker during that Premier League season. He didn't even start every game. No, uh, I remember he, that he didn't. Start he, he needs anything. to be. He is a player more than any other striker who really wants to be on the pitch every minute of every. Well, maybe game. it wouldn't work at Chelsea then. You know. That, yeah, true, I think they but... could do. They could do a straight switch. Breuer for Mitrovic with a bit of cash, and I think Breuer would do a job. For Fulham and Mitrovic mm-hmm. would do, it'd just be an like the extra Costa. job yeah. all over again. That's yeah. exactly what he'd be like. It'd be great. Yeah. All right. Well, he's got until Thursday evening to sort that one out. Uh, next up for us, we're going to be asking questions like, "How much trouble are Leicester in? What's going to happen when they face Man United midweek? And how far can Brighton go?" This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Brighton are going to be visiting Craven Cottage on Tuesday. They are top four, everybody. They just beat the lead side that had only just thumped Chelsea the previous weekend. 1-0 the scoreline at the Amex. Good Lord, no opposition player has scored against the Seagulls this season. How good, Daniel, is Graham Potter for what he's doing with this squad? But I feel like we say this every week, you know. Um, say, yeah, he's, say what a he's job ex- he's doing down there. Yeah, what a job he's doing down there. Uh, he's ex- I mean, it is extraordinary. I mean, every week you feel like you could pick out a different player. I think last week felt like Leandro Trossard and he plays all these different positions. This weekend in, in the score, I was looking at Pascal Gross and Joel Veltman because away from that Brighton strategy of buying 10 to 20 million pound players and turning them into 50 million pound players they also buy players like those two for a combined three and a half million and they look 
absolutely brilliant. You know, Veltman came from Ajax, who were selling players for tens of millions of pounds, and he cost £900,000 to Brighton. And they've turned him into a player who can both play right back and centre back and be dependable in both. And it does just feel like you could sort of sculpt a an average footballer, Johnny Average, give him to Graham Potter and he would turn him into a, a wing-back that can also play left-back and do a job in central midfield. It's it's a ridiculous, to be his honest. His most impressive trait is that he can have his squad picked apart. We can see Mope going, we can see Cucurella taken by Chelsea. This happens every season, every window Bissouma. nearly. Mm. And yeah, and then he can still get them performing to the same level. Yeah. Remarkable. Well, they did bring in Casada, didn't they? It was another of the players that no doubt Daniel has featured on your Brighton mm, Player think, of the Week. I, th- I think we are getting to a tipping point with Potter where he will be the next cab off the rank for a big Premier League club. Do I you think, think? That, yeah, I think a year ago it was sort of, it, he might have to make that sort of, not sideways step, although it would be at the moment, but this kind of bridge job between an elite club. I, I think see. now. It would either be well. It would either be a big Premier League club. Or it would be the England job. I think that's his next steps. Or Europe, a European job. Well, he's done it before, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah. I think I think that a big, either Spanish or Italian team coming. I'd for love it. to German. see him win the. I'd, I'd love nothing more than see him win the Bundesliga with Dortmund. Put it that way. That mm. would be gorgeous. The huge problem with Potter is that whoever, whatever big club decides that they want to go for him, they have to give him a year to kind of get things right and do things his way and that's a really happens mm. a big club now um so that is kind of the paradox of the situation really um uh, by all means just stay at brighton i um I, I want brighton season to get to the point where he has to start playing down their champions league hopes uh, because uh, <laughs> that is a role that one manager must play every season and i just want to see how he does it i've got a feeling i've got a sneaky feeling he might play them up he might play up their hopes which would be great well it, it's a vacancy at the moment because one thing that i think has been noted is the way that Teams that have threatened outsiders who have challenged the big six for top four places in recent seasons, your West Ham's, your Leicester's, for example. (laughs) Who's the other one I'm thinking of? (laughs) Wolves. Oh, Wolves, of course. (laughs) Of all, really faded. uh, I mean, particularly this season, are all really struggling. Is Is there a common reason for that, do you think? Uh, Well, one one reason, and it's particularly due to Leicester this season, is that uh, as you chase those positions your wage bill inevitably gets higher and higher partly because players have bonuses written into contracts partly because you 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 know you want to pay those players to to keep them at the club and you want to improve the squad and then there comes a tipping point where financially you can't really do that anymore and suddenly those players are at that high level think well other clubs want me now so maybe I'll move on and Wolves have got it right because they have a relationship that allows them to kind of re-energize the squad automatically through their contacts which is perfectly sensible Leicester and West Ham don't necessarily have that so every new sign that comes in is to some extent a gamble Mm. humor me if you will but I have have a friend who (laughs) works in the West End and has to do eight shows a week as a Vita or as you know one of these leading roles and I was saying Which, which leading role Lindsay well, at the moment, she's actually not got a leading role, but she the last leading role, she was Evita. But I remember asking Ooh. her about it. In Evita? Yes, in right. Evita. <laughs> and uh, just how you manage to keep your voice at that level. And I right. think that's akin to to a lot of the teams that are just below the top six, is that you have to be at 100%. Now, the first year of a show, she said, I gave 100% every night and 100% was me at my absolute but best. But all credit to the cast. Yeah, all credit to the cast. Hmm. But... The second year, sometimes you're given 100%, but what you actually have in the tank is 65. Right. The hunger. But you're given 100. And mm. I think that sums up these teams. And so mm. refreshing the squad is so important. Right. Lindsay, well, I'm perfectly happy to accept that I didn't know where that analogy was going, but it is absolutely <laughs> nice. It got better as it went on, I have to say. Yeah, it's very impressive. Well, allow me to talk about uh, somebody else who's having problems on pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Leicester, are they going to be on song midweek, etc. and so on? What will their score be? Mm. Uh, Leicester in real trouble. They got beaten 2-1 at Chelsea on Saturday. And not just by Chelsea, but by 10-man Chelsea an hour. Uh, Chelsea played with a man disadvantage, but still triumphed over the hapless Foxes, who next up 
uh, play a Man United team on a roll very much following their 1-0 win away at Saints, which wasn't spectacular but was their first away win after seven losses in a row on the road. So, yeah, I mean, one or two questions about whether Saints should have had a penalty in that game and that. But uh, but still, Leicester, how much trouble are they in? On the evidence of, of that game, quite a lot potentially, because I, I can't remember the last time I saw a team go two down to someone with 10 men. And, and not just that, but the 10 men of Chelsea had so much space to play with. I mean, it seems an obvious point to make, but it didn't feel like they had 10 men at all. They, they kind of readjusted themselves quite well. Tuchel kind of sorted them out, but it, it was amazing how much space Chelsea had to exploit. And perhaps there was an element of the dynamic of a team faced with 10 men thinking, OK, we've got to go for it. And that opened things up a bit. But it, it was just really odd how little they capitalised on Chelsea having an hour with a man down. It was really, really weird to watch. They are in trouble because the team is worse than it was two years ago. I think Leicester beat Chelsea at home, I think, in 2021. And the back five and keeper has got Schmeichel in top form. It's got Wilfred Ndidi. It's got Wesley Fofana. It's got, you know, a really good team. Ricardo Pereira wasn't even in the first team. And you look at the team at the weekend and Rodgers kind of dropped the emergency line into Bubakari Samari, who's not even been in the squad and, and started the game. And obviously Fafana's not in the team, so you've got Daniel Amati playing centre-back. These aren't players who would get into Leicester's team a year and a half ago. And that that's worrying because footballers notice when things are starting to turn down. And that's how it can really accelerate because they realise something isn't right and that then breaks the confidence, which breaks the technique. And then everything starts to sort of collapse very quickly. Uh, and that's what Rodgers now has to avoid. And they do now have a quite a lot of money to spend this week, which may make a difference. But I think we're almost at the stage now, particularly for supporters, where anyone coming in will sort of manufacture a different mood just because it's a, a change of atmosphere. Um, I think they're probably... And Rogers is still a, a, a manager that players want to play for, I think. One small point is that the, the transfer window, as I understand it, got pushed back a day because there was a midweek programme of football in the Premier League. Oh, but when's Leicester it ending man- so it's ending Thursday night. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But, but because most teams are playing Tuesday, Wednesday. Right. But poor Leicester, who desperately need new players this week, are one of only two teams who, are, who actually are playing Thursday. I think if you're going to extend it, what difference it does to, that make? Well, it, but it, it shouldn't. But it clearly. Jack Lasoyuncu isn't doing the transfer negotiations. I think they'll be all right. Do. I think they got some other people involved in the club that are able to do it. I agree with you. So why do they move it a day because of the midweek program? I don't get I, is, that. Is it all. not for the? Um... Is it not so that the, uh, the the live games don't get overshadowed by men in yellow ties and, and, and purple sex toys? Maybe, but then then again, that's a slur on Leicester and Man United on is Thursday it, night, isn't it? Is it, though? Which would no, you be it, watching isn't. it isn't, though. Mm. I will be at Leicester, so I'll be <laughs> okay. ignoring... I mean, as a man right. who doesn't like working on transfers, I'm doing Burnley Tuesday, Man City Wednesday, Leicester right. Thursday because of that. <laughs> Crikey. Uh, listener, you'll have noted that we haven't touched on Brentford's 1-1 draw with Everton which happened this weekend. Anybody like to comment on that very briefly? Because we kind of reached our, our time. Uh, or maybe, Adam, you'd like to discuss what Frank Lampard might say in his tremendously successful pitching calls. He's cold-cooled uh, Connor Cody and now Neil Mope very successfully. It's amazing. We're hearing it all the time from players who have been wooed by Frank Lampard via phone. But... Maybe, if you think about it, he's the kind of perfect generation for this. You forget that these players are 15 to 20 years younger than us and maybe they were watching Lampard in his peak Barclays pomp when they were about eight years old, which is sickening. But it, I'm trying to think of um, sort of a Lindsay Hooper-level analogy for this. I'm thinking <laughs> it's a bit like, say, Gary Lineker ringing me up in about 2005 and saying, do you fancy coming to work on Match of the Day? I'd be like, yeah, definitely. Don't care what state this lot, your production team is in. I'm definitely signing for you. So it's basically like that. Or in 2022, in my case, <laughs> as, as receiving the call, I'm You'd saying. You'd take it, would you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just saying. From a Brentford point of view, do you remember that stat last season? Was it in Burma who'd hit the woodwork seven times? Mm-hmm. I think we need to be on woodwork watch going <laughs> yeah, forward they... for Brentford. They hit the woodwork again three times in this game against Everton. Does this mean they are the unluckiest team? It's not luck, Lindsay. Mm. It's not luck. Not luck. It's not luck. They are the they are the almost brilliantly accurate team in the Premier there League. But. There you go. Uh, Connor Cody, by the way, who pitched him with an assist for his new side 
in this game okay, as I'm, Everton. Okay, I'm going. I'm d- I can't listen to any kind of Cody. I've made, <laughs> I've made this you know, promise to myself. Lindsay, I can't get involved. That's his 155th appearance in the Premier League and his first ever assist. Incredible. Mm. Anyway. Shackles off now. Yeah. Let's wrap it up for this edition of the Totally Football Show. We are back Tuesday with the European Roundup. As I say, there's a Friday bonus Champions League draw show out there already if you'd like. Thursday, there'll be more of our Premier League midweek reaction and other things too. And there's football cliches to look forward to Tuesday night and offside rule Wednesday and all Daniel's great stuff in the eye. There's loads of football and loads of football content. Terrific. What a world. What a time to be alive. Magnificent. Daniel, Adam, Lindsay, producer Charlie, you listener, many thanks to you all. Have a great week. We'll catch up with you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.